Welcome everyone to the Asian Voices Radio Podcast, where you will hear real Asian American conversations, including topics and subjects you were too afraid to ask your Asian parents about. I'm your host today, Sasha Fu, and our special guest today is Stacey Moy of the FBI. You heard that right, FBI. Let me tell you a little bit about his background. He has a 20-year career with the FBI and recently became the head of the FBI's field office in San Diego. Special agent in charge, yes, that is his title, special agent in charge, Stacy Moy, was born and raised in San Diego, graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy. He was a commissioned officer in the Navy before joining the FBI in 2004. During his time with the agency, he has served in Washington, D.C., San Francisco, and San Diego, and his experience with the FBI has been wide-ranging, going from the participating on the SWAT team to handling cases in the areas of counterintelligence, espionage, and here's a new phrase for me, counterproliferation. And for those of you who don't know what that is, I had to also look that up. That is preventing the spread of weapons of mass destruction. This is all very serious stuff, of course. He's also investigated cases involving financial crimes, corruption, civil rights, and violent crimes against children. Welcome, special agent in charge. I think I got that right. Special agent in charge, Stacy Moy. How are you today, Stacy? I'm I'm great. I'm great, Sasha. Thank you very much for everything. And and uh, I know that's a very very serious biography on me. So I will I will keep it yeah. very uh, uh, up in the air as far as uh, my background here and let let everyone know that I, I actually speak no no uh, Asian languages, uh, even though I hail from uh, ethnicity wise and background from uh, Cantonese China. The, the probably the best thing I could order uh, is dim sum for you here for for folks on the radio. No, what's your favorite dim sum? <laughs> uh, well, I, I think it's anything that my wife, uh, which I've introduced her to, uh, she's actually Caucasian white uh, and really didn't uh, in, in experience dim sum at all. But I have to- totally turned her on to uh, the, the beef spare ribs uh, with black bean sauce, otherwise known as pie what. All right. And what about the chicken feet? Ah, so the chicken feet. I, I was a fan, you know, I have to do, do something you do chicken ad- feet? adventurous in the day, but, uh, you know, going with my dad into that, but, uh, really it's, it's my, uh, my, uh, my brother-in-law and my dad who actually enjoy that. Okay. Well, okay. That's good. I like that. So I was just, uh, telling our executive, uh, producer and the CEO of, um, Asian voices that I think this is a first, I don't think we've ever had a guest on the Asian Voices podcast who has been from the law enforcement field. Now, I know that law enforcement is often a career that tends to run in families. You know, my grandfather was a police officer, then the father, and then son or daughter. Um, Let's talk about your family and your Asian roots. Like all Asian kids, I'm speaking from experience, of course, there are tremendous expectations put on you when you're growing up. You know, you got to become a nuclear physicist or at least an Olympic gold medal skater or something like that. What were your parents' expectations for you? Well, certainly, Sasha, I, I had the same pressures. I didn't know it really uh, stemmed from from culturally being Asian. But I just knew it as my parents wanted me to do well. And uh, certainly there there was a, probably zero failure in the, the math arena, given my, my uh, father uh, had, had a master's in, in math and uh, actually had a, a PhD or close to a PhD in psychology. So anytime I had struggles with math homework, 
Uh, he would really, really come on me, but then uh, psychologically, uh, he would also tell me, I know exactly what you're doing here, or I know exactly where you're trying to get out of this homework <laughs> assignment. So was there pressure from an early age um, in terms of entering certain fields? Certain fields were more desirable than others. If your father was, um, you know, ex- excelled at math, maybe he wanted you, be- to, you to become a, an engineer or something like that. Well, he, he actually worked for the, uh, the Navy as a computer scientist, so he was very much in the forefront uh, back in the day in San Diego County in uh, uh, the development of, of home computers and PCs and, and really get into that. So uh, once he saw an, I had an aptitude for technology of some sort, uh, he really uh, you know, kind of fostered that and, and was encouraged if, if I sought an engineering degree. Uh, little did he know that the engineering degree would, would end up at the Naval Academy, but uh, certainly, he was uh, interested in me, me pursuing some kind of a master's degree. So it sounds like your parents applauded your choices every step of the way. Uh, they did. They did. Uh, the, the added benefit, of course, is is uh, certainly the service academies uh, are not are not free per se. Uh, certainly, we we pay for it, and as taxpayers, and we would turn in service in kind. But uh, there was an added benefit for for parents on, on not having to pay a large college tuition too. So that's that's something out there for folks who are actually interested uh, in going to service academies. Oh yeah, that's that's an excellent point. That's a huge benefit. So I think you probably get this question often: How do you become an FBI agent? What goes into the training? What did you have to do? Well, I, I could tell you, Sasha, from my background, uh, at the time when I was applying, I, I came from one of uh, several different programs or at least uh, uh, entry gates, if you will, one of which was coming from a law enforcement or diversified or military background, and which I had uh, military service. And uh, the FBI really mm-hmm. at the special agent role uh, is seeking uh, folks are coming from uh, across different industries, uh, whether it be from a law degree, uh, come from a lawyer practicing law, either uh, civilly or, or criminally, um, and certainly from in their advanced sciences or math degrees, and then from their traditional CPA, public accounting degree, and then from a, a law enforcement degree coming in. But uh, certainly I, I came from the military side, and that was my preparatory area. And the reasons why the FBI draws upon this is it's, it's generally seen as a second career, a professional career. Uh, that that really draws upon all those different industries to to connect with the community. Okay, good information there. When you joined the FBI in 2004, how many Asian American or Pacific Islanders were in that initial, I guess, class of of recruits or trainees? Sure. Uh, I want to say offhand, we had about uh, three or four offhand of my class that were of uh, Asia Pacific Island descent. And that was about a class size of about 40 or so, uh, which is approximately around the same time frame uh, for population uh, of the Asian ethnicity coming into the Bureau. I know this question is going to sound a little bit frivolous, but bear with me. You know, our perception or our, our, thinking about what the FBI is like is often colored by what we see in TV and movies, right? Yes. And the Asian characters usually play the guys in the lab or the forensic analysts or the data, you know, analysts. They aren't always or usually the guys who are kicking down the doors or uh, involved in the blazing gunfights. Is there any truth to that stereotype or is that just a 
a media stereotype about w- what Asians do in law for in law enforcement? Well, uh, I, I might be standing corrected here when I, I maybe quote my wife and, and looking what I think David Lim or, or Daniel Kim and some of their uh, TV series and Y five O, and I think they're fairly True. athletic and fit and uh, very tactical. And, and uh, somehow they lose their shirts in some of these operations. I don't know how that happens, but somehow <laughs> that happens. Uh, but yeah, they, they've <laughs> they've gone past I think uh, those those stereotypes of, of being segregated to just those partic- uh, particular career fields in in the law enforcement media. Well, you know, because the stereotype is Asians are the brainiacs, right? So they're the analysts or the (laughs) data crunchers or the numbers crunchers. But okay, fair enough. Yes, you did cite some, um, you know, heartthrobs like uh, Daniel Day Kim and, you know, maybe with the uh, with the chest and the pectoral pecs on full display. Yeah, sure. Of course. (laughs) But I was just wondering, what is the reality? Is there maybe um, a little bit of conscious or unconscious bias in terms of um, Asian people in law enforcement? Oh, they're the brainiacs or they're the analysts. Well, well certainly that might be in my own unconscious bias, uh, Sasha, because I, I, I may have tended to think that's what everyone thought I should be or do. And maybe I overcompensated by, by pushing that envelope uh, and going into the tactical world and, and naval special warfare and special operations in the military. And then from that, going into law enforcement, into uh, being a special agent, and then seeking a, a collateral duty, uh, which is uh, as a SWAT or special weapons and tactics operator uh, within the FBI, of which uh, there are uh, SWAT teams throughout each of our uh, 56 field offices throughout the country that, that do high arrest, uh, arrest warrants, uh, force protection for some of our U.S. dignitaries that travel around. Uh, both in the international area and then uh, both domestically. And then we do a lot of uh, uh, sensitive work uh, in the tactical area. So, yes, I, I think I kind of maybe mm-hmm. over, over-indexed on the other end. Let's turn our conversation now to hate crimes and what many consider the extremely alarming rise in hate crimes against Asians in this country. According from according to data collected by the FBI, in fact, in 2020, anti-Asian hate crimes increased by more than 73%. And when you look at the other statistics, it, that is a disproportionate spike because that year, hate crimes in general only went up, well, went up by 13%. So you have crimes against Asians, 73%, hate crimes in general, 13%. Uh, your thoughts on that and what initiatives are being taken by the FBI now, right now, to try to either stem or prevent more of these attacks against Asians? Uh, thank you very, very much for that, Sasha. Yes, we, FBI is absolutely concerned. My thoughts are uh, with, with everyone in the community that, that that number in itself is extremely alarming. Uh, we're sensitive to that, uh, meaning that we, we want to hear uh, from the community if they are feeling as if uh, they are unsafe in their community, why they're unsafe. Uh, and if they have been uh, either a witness, a party or victim of a hate crime to report that uh, to law enforcement and certainly to the FBI through our, our call center or at least our, our local field office. Uh, some of my thoughts in general about what may have stemmed or caused that, it, it's, it's certainly me just opining. Yeah. Uh, you know, certainly there, there's, a, there's a lot of 
uh, narrative of potential xenophobia uh, created around uh, COVID during the pandemic. There is the lockdown itself mm-hmm. of the pandemic causing quite a, a bit of extraordinary stressors in, in, in the world as is, and uh, folks looking and seeking an outlet and cannot say whether uh, that may be targeted towards uh, API community in itself or just in general. Uh, but certainly it's something there to be mindful of and uh, where folks are concerned, they should report that uh, to, to the FBI or to law, law enforcement so we can address that. The idea of reporting these crimes is somewhat problematic in communities where either there's language barriers, cultural barriers in terms of trusting law enforcement or anyone with a badge, or even um, in some groups, a question about if I come forward, uh, my auntie doesn't have papers to be in the country legally, could uh, that jeopardize my immigration or the immigration status of family members? Yes, yeah, Sasha. We, we, we at the FBI obviously are, are, are tasked completely with uh, the civil rights and protection of, of everyone in the United States under the Constitution, regardless of ethnicity or national origin or status, right? We, we consider everyone uh, U.S. persons at that point for uh, civil, civil rights violations and hate crimes. Now, when there's an absence of reporting or reluctance to reporting based upon some of those various things that you talked about, Sasha, I would say, yes, mm-hmm. we are sensitive to that. We, we understand that in these communities, uh, some of them uh, emigrated uh, from totalitarian police states where they cannot be trusted. They are in collusion with governments to coerce and possibly oppress uh, distance and freedoms that which we enjoy and protect in the United States uh, from the FBI. Uh, so we want to ensure that we are reaching uh, those audience correctly and, and helping educate and building that trust and partnership. And part of what we do uh, is identify uh, those community leaders in API and those networks and associations which can help broker those conversations. We also seek uh, individuals within the FBI that may or may not have these backgrounds and, and history behind them to understand uh, these nuances in these cultures and how to best approach them and not to insult them, understand that there is maybe a hesitancy, a victim mentality behind it, uh, an embarrassment, and certainly a lack of, of trust. So we also try to partner uh, with uh, folks that are actually in these communities and whether or not they are agents or what we call our professional support uh, employees or intel analysts, which actually comprise most of the FBI. The FBI is about 35,000 and, and these individuals and those those job series actually are, are more than half of that. And, and some of them are, are occupying some of the critical skills that language, for example, language specialists. They speak all sorts of dialects of Chinese, which could be a way to, to enter into the Chinese community or Korean dialects and, and Japanese and some of the other ones that, that will help uh, broker those conversations. So that is an actual job inside the FBI, someone who is valued for their linguistic skills or their, uh, their value to the organization because they speak another language. Yes, yes. We, we, uh, we call them language specialists, um, and they help uh, not only uh, agents, um, understand how to approach these communities, uh, whether it be uh, from a law enforcement standpoint or, or purely a community outreach uh, measure. And they could be either full-time employees of the FBI or part-time uh, because we know cer- certain people have day jobs and they have family care needs. And, and certainly we can actually hire them as contractors at, at part-time to work some of these various different uh 
critical language skills that are needed, and then we can actually work remotely with them from their uh, home field office location where they may be hired from. And then uh, and they can do everything from technical translations, cultural translations. Some of these are very, very nuanced dialects uh, within the API community uh, that we need access to that, That's right. that can reach new audiences. Yep. Can we go back to talking a little bit about the immigration aspect? Because some some of that is unclear to me. If, uh, for instance, I'm in a household where one household member may not have legal status or doesn't have the documentation to be in the country Ill- legally, legally, and I step forward and say I was, um, I want to report a hate crime against myself, and uh, there's an investigator who comes and starts asking questions. Would I put? Would the family member or household member who doesn't have um, legal papers or would they potentially be at risk of being deported? I can't specifically go into that scenario and I'm 100% certain to say that won't be an issue. Uh, but I would say we look purely at the, the crime at hand, the victimization of that person. And we would consider that the first and foremost thing that we're most concerned about, ensuring that person is safe and there's no harm to them. Now, the, the status of which uh, we, we could certainly work with our other partners to work on immigration, but I don't think there's a immediate need for that person to, to, to move into deportation or any of those stats. Our first and foremost thing is to ensure the victim is protected, uh, the individual is safe, and the family members around them are safe, and then uh, they're in a capacity to potentially identify uh, some of the perpetrators who uh, committed these egregious acts upon them, and then we work with them to hold them accountable. And some of those added benefits might be uh, potential ways or gateways to citizenship. Okay, because I think that might be an inhibiting factor for people to come forward if they have somebody who has um, uncertain immigration status. They're worried about a referral from your agency to immigration or INS or one of those. We face this all the time, Sasha, in areas of uh, human trafficking, for example, where some of these uh, uh, folks that come over uh, potentially legally are absconded from in organized elements, and then they, they, they have no voice of their own, right? And some of them are minors, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to be very mindful in right. protecting them uh, from further victimization. Okay. Um, you know, we live in changing times. We're having dialogues and conversations about things that we didn't have maybe five, 10 years ago, everything around racial justice, relations between communities of color and police agencies. Uh, we're A lot of police agencies are trying to open up that dialogue with citizens and community members. And I know the FBI is trying to do that, especially in the area of hate crimes. If you as a leader, an Asian American leader in the FBI could give, you know, some do's or don'ts for other law enforcement, not necessarily just in the FBI, how to conduct sensitive conversations on this topic with Asian or API community members. Let's say we're having a public forum. I mean, there are instances where People might stand in front of a group of folks and fail to relate to them or fail to connect. What, in your opinion, would be a a good do, you know, proactive things to do to connect with that audience and things that they should avoid because it would turn them off or make them feel they are not seen and not heard? Sure, Sasha. Uh, That's a great point. Um, And I'll use this time actually to to identify that I'm part of 
uh, what we call the FBI's uh, Diversity uh, Executive Council, of which I, I co-chair or co-champion within the FBI, one of our diversity advisory committees, which ensures uh, uh, the various different uh, sects within the uh, FBI are, are equally represented, and uh, we can help inform our executives on, upon laws and policies which, which impact diversity. And I'm, I'm one of the co-chairs on the Asia-Pacific uh, American Advisory Committee for the FBI. We had one example that came up uh, through our office out of F uh, FBI New York field office, uh, which they partnered with uh, NYPD uh, in the wake, uh, and I guess, fever pitch of, of Asian-related hate crimes or hate incidents that happened uh, throughout the country, uh, one, uh, one of which being New York being epicenter and certainly San Francisco being the other one, uh, given the demographics of both those regions. Uh, they, they did their, their good share of research and certainly uh, went out uh, to connect with the community as, as a partner with the, uh, both law enforcement overtly as, as NYPD in uniform and certainly as the FBI and, and to connect with the community leaders. And, and rightfully so, they were very uh, angered, uh, uh, sensitive to uh, some of the narratives out there about uh, API and, and hate crimes in general um, and more scared, right? And... Uh, it, it, it it had a failure to connect. And the reason why I bring this up, failure to connect, it, uh, we didn't have a nuanced approach, meaning uh, we went there to uh, connect with the community, but also inform and educate them on, on what can, constitutes a hate crime uh, at the federal level uh, by statute, by legal statute. And obviously this, this didn't resonate, right? Uh, instead of coming from a point of empathy. And certainly no fault to uh, the folks that went out. They, they certainly just didn't understand and didn't have the education ahead of time. And so when we heard about that, uh, this, this, our, our, our committee heard about it because of our contacts in New York. Uh, we worked well uh, directly with New York to give them that feedback that, hey, here, here's maybe a better way to approach this based upon uh, the, the, the folks that you were actually talking to. And maybe we can work together to work and refine some of your what we call talking points or deliverables of messaging that, that helps safeguard and, and show empathy, right? First and foremost, the community versus actually uh, quoting uh, legal statutes, right? And so we worked together with them and then actually provided a, a similar package to all other field offices uh, through what we call our, our headquarters at, at, at FBI. That, that actually oversees the criminal program for hate crimes. And what they did is actually give those all to the executives of these field offices. San Diego is another example of a field office. And so that they can connect uh, with their corresponding API community and, and it actually resonated very well with them. Do you remember any of those talking points? Well, well, certainly I do. I, 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 do, I do remember it. Uh, one of which I think we covered uh, briefly uh, uh, earlier here was understanding faith that that there's a fundamental mistrust of, of law enforcement um, in, in the Asian Pacific Islander community, right? Because of the where they're coming from, at least in some of these police states, right? There's, so that's one point. There's also a point of just, just Asian culture in general, regardless of, of country. Traditionally, it's, it's keep your head down, right? Keep your head down. Let your work speak for itself. Right. Don't don't make noise. Don't make noise. Don't be a problem out there. Uh, don't be the one that's that's complaining about something. You know, do a good job. You know, regardless of what you know, regardless of what happens, keep keep doing your good job, and things will work out. Right. That's always been kind of the, the model, right? Um, of the the model minority uh, rate being the stereotype of, of Asians, right? You know, that, that's 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 the way we should we should operate, right? Um, and then there and then there's certainly uh, yeah. the the 
the point of of Asians in general uh, uh, being being quite minded about about things and, and not having to uh, spout what their emotions are, right? Not being very emotional, right? And, you know, being very composed. Um, and so when it, when it doesn't quite hit that mark and you're wondering why we're not having the, the, the parallel mirroring of body language, uh, that's why, right? Uh, you know, something that may be, you know, very gregarious amongst uh, some of the other cultures that might be, be, be going out and talking to them. They're wondering why it fall, falls flat-footed in some of their uh, delivery. So you said that these talking points and the, these advisory uh, recommendations were well-received. Do you think that has been the springboard for any change? Have you received any feedback saying, oh, yes, we put this into action and we saw different consequences from this? Well, I don't see necessarily different consequences. I see maybe different results because from uh, those initial conversations, which probably weren't being had or uh, being received at the same level, it would broker a second or third uh, dialogue, right? Which would then open up the doors to, okay, this is actually, the FBI is trying to reach the masses, if you will, uh, specifically the API community. Are we, are we delivering our message in the right medium? You know, where where should we be talking to? Is it you know mm-hmm. is it these national media outlets? Is it a national media magazine, or should it be in an Asia Voices podcast, or should it be uh, in in an Asian radio setting? Should it be an Asian cable TV mm-hmm. right that 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 hits those correct audiences? Because those those might be the areas where uh, some of these uh, offenses might be happening to people, and then they will know now. Uh, then to be able to report it, not only that it'll be protected, they'll be protected, uh, but they'll actually be heard and, and listened to. Okay. That's what I meant by consequences. I meant as framed by or in the context of bringing forth more people willing to report or more people willing to talk about their their experiences with law enforcement. Because obviously you can't act to prevent this type of thing unless you have more information. Um, the uh, there are some advocacy groups who say that the reported statistics from the FBI and other groups actually may be just the tip of the iceberg and that um, hate crimes against Asians may actually be underrepresented or underreported because of some of the things we've already talked about. But law enforcement can actually help that by some of the problem is not just that the community members are reluctant, but there might be a data reporting gap. This has been suggested by some of the advocacy groups, and I want to get your opinion on this. Do you think that there, there's been an observation that some local law enforcement agencies are not as diligent about reporting hate crime statistics? Well, yeah, certainly uh, we, we try to reach, uh, I don't know if there's a mandatory aspect of it, but we certainly are, are trying to reach everyone. Uh, we have a unified crime report that the FBI puts together every year, and this is probably where those statistics start coming from and where we start seeing some of these trends. Uh, part of it is 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 correcting um, each year to year, and it's hard in a way to hit trends because as we reach new audiences and new uh, police departments at the same time and sheriff's offices that now are now reporting it, uh, it and then we also are um, simultaneously reaching new communities who are also reporting things. So it, it, it tends to be a trend that 
that we can't really assess at the same time together, but at least it's coming in. Um, and then we can actually uh, understand um, if, if we actually have a, a threat problem. I guess I was wondering if you think the data might be strengthened or bolstered if there was a mandatory uh, legal requirement for all local police departments or local a mandatory requirement that law enforcement agencies report hate crimes because not all of them do. And that is what the advocacy groups are saying. Not all of them do. Some of the bigger cities do, but some of the smaller ones or some of the agencies that don't feel it's a priority right. don't I, I, do I, it. I, I think you're correct. It is voluntary. Uh, we are trying to make it uh, you know, highly recommended is probably the best way to say it and, and push into it. And certainly the best way you could do it is report it directly to us, right? Because we automatically report it, right? Uh, and, and there's a record of it. So there's always a benefit of, of going uh, directly to the FBI there. But right now, the paradigm is the paradigm is that we're expecting these agencies to do this voluntarily. Do you think we should go a step further and mandate that? Uh, I can't really comment specifically on, on the, the, net, the mandate or the recommendations on, on that. Uh, I you know, just candidly, I would say that we, we work really well with our state and local partners, right? law, law enforcement. Uh, they see it. Right. And they 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 are they're very uh, attuned to reporting things now. And they understand that, that it does safeguard the community and help community policing by doing that. So I don't know if they're I can't speak on the legislation behind that, but it's certainly from the law enforcement angle. Uh, you know, we encourage the reporting. OK, I think that's something that we're hearing from advocacy groups, because they think that if we have more numbers and more rigorous reporting, we'll be able to attack this problem more effectively, perhaps. Uh, that's one perspective. There, um, there's also some more information that's coming about out about the activity involving extremist groups, uh, white nationalist or white supremacist groups. There's a new study that was just released this April, saying that domestic terror incidents by white supremacist and extreme right wing groups has reached a new high, um, the highest in many many decades. What do you think, Stacy, is the gravity posed by these types of groups? Uh, the gravity of the threat posed by these groups? Well, I'd say uh, Sasha is very is significant, right? We, we, you know, regardless of their uh, ideology or the motivation, uh, the, these groups uh, individually or or uh, collectively, right? Uh, they do pose a threat if uh, they are, uh, you know, moving to any kind of. Uh, motivation or mobilization to violence. Uh, so we are actively uh, working to uh, disrupt and, and uh, uh, protect the community from any of these actors. Okay. So we're, we're approaching the end of the, uh, a couple more questions. How do these extremist groups normalize hate? Do you think that, that they play a part in that? Well, yeah, that's that's a that's a fair question. I mean, it, it, unfortunately, it uh, yes. Yeah, so as much as we, the FBI, you know, protects civil rights, there is actually nothing illegal about hate itself. Uh, as as unsavory it is to hear, uh, folks do have that protection under the First Amendment. So it's it's the difference from moving from uh, that hate to a motivated hate, right? A violence, a criminal, federal crime based upon that hate. Right. So that that's the, the nuanced difference that we're always careful and mindful to, to, to look at and observe. But, yeah, the FBI uh, in itself doesn't doesn't look at normalizing that hate. The FBI and organizations of all types, not just um, law enforcement, but arts organizations, um, corporate America, they've been charged with trying to bring more 
uh, people of diverse racial and ethnic backgrounds into their workforce. And of course, the FBI is, I'm presuming, taking steps in that area too. What can you tell us about um, the measures that the FBI is taking to, you know, recruit more people of more diverse backgrounds? Uh, we're doing uh, every, everything and everything we can, anything and everything. Uh, we, we not only through the API community, uh, we, we recognize uh, you know, Asian Heritage Month is coming up uh, this this May, right? So pretty much every field office is, is trying to reach out to the community, uh, but not also that, but also to the internal FBI offices to, to help educate about these the great culture, the great diversity in these communities, and the great experiences and innovation that are coming from them, and how to you know, potentially recruit them to become uh, employees of the FBI. Uh, so the FBI is certainly trying to do everything we can, uh, not only to understand the community, but actually reflect and look and serve uh, the communities we, we are living within. Uh, we've made it uh, what we call within the FBI a health measure, right? We, we look at, you know, how we are doing business in, in the FBI. And one of those is actually doing many, many of these co uh, community outreach events and diversity events, uh, but also looking at the recruitment aspect. You know, are we in the communities we need to be in and where can we improve? Because if we're not in those areas, we're missing some of the great experiences, talent, uh, for future generations. Do you like to participate in these outreach or recruitment events yourself, Stacy? Because I think it's nice when if somebody like you comes out and says, you know, I've been all over the place with this agency. I've had a lot of interesting um, functions inside this agency, and I'd like to encourage, you know, you 25-year-old or 23-year-old person in this audience to come and join our agency. I think it might be nice to see somebody with your background and, you know, and say, yeah, okay, I can do this. Yeah, I, I think so. I absolutely enjoy it. It's it's one of the, the best things in this job uh, is to reach the new audiences at every level, whether it be uh, through our, our Citizens Academy uh, program, where we bring in uh, some of our local community leaders, private sector leaders, and, and faith-based leaders. But we also reach out at, at the high school level for and, and teen level to bring them in the junior special agent program, as well as college level for our honors interns. Uh, not only in the field office, but at headquarters. They could be interested in a myriad of different uh, job roles within the FBI, not only the law enforcement special agent role, uh, but certainly in our linguist, language specialist roles, intelligence analyst roles. Uh, we have, I'm, I'm looking right here at our multimedia specialists right here. I mean, there, Ooh, there's okay. a wide okay. range of folks here, public <laughs> affairs specialist, right? National press office. Somebody could manage the Twitter yeah, accounts no, for the we, FBI. The Twitter accounts, right? There's, there's all sorts of great things we, we do in the FBI. And we have the CSI, the lab folks. We have, we got a myriad cool. of pilots. Yeah. There's all sorts of fun things we have in the FBI. And, and uh, we are also, we have got an overseas presence too, in every uh, major embassy and consulate. So from your personal experience, Stacey, if you're talking to somebody who's eyeing a career in the FBI, and I know you've already covered, there's a diverse number of roles you can play at the FBI, but from your personal experience, what are the traits or characteristics you should have if you are going to succeed? So the, the fundamental trait is, is, a, is a willingness to serve above self. I think that's it. You know, the, the, the patriotism, uh, the, the ability to serve, you, you can't put a price tag on that. You know, don't know. Yeah. You certainly, the salaries are good and it's certainly food on the table. Right. But, uh, it, it, the FBI will get you there. Um, but certainly the, the, the pleasure and honor of serving the American people and protecting the Constitution. 
uh, upholding the Constitution, protecting the American people. That there really is the fundamental uh, grounds by which everyone in the FBI is galvanized behind. And this one common trait I hear uh, everyone coming in the door and everyone leaving, because uh, I do exit interviews uh, for every employee or retiree, is, uh, you know, I also talk to them after they leave, is, is they miss it. They miss that mission, the mission of, of the FBI to do that. So um, really a dedication to public service, which some people have said, well, Sometimes it's hard to find that because people are very skeptical about the role of government. So it's really wonderful when you can find people who say, yes, I want to serve. I want to serve. Yes, it is. Thank you, Stacey Moy, special agent in charge for joining our podcast. It's been an interesting half hour learning more about the FBI and about your background. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Sasha, and thank you everyone that, that uh, tuned in uh, for this. And if you'd like to learn more about the FBI, please, uh, I would refer you to our website, fbi.gov, very easily. And then from there, you can navigate to everything you want to know about the FBI. And for those who are interested in actually applying for jobs, uh, it's, it's uh, fbi.gov uh, slash jobs. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Again, you're the first, Stacy, our first guest from the law enforcement community on the Asian Voices radio podcast. So hooray. <laughs> Thank you. Many more to follow, I'm sure then. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you have any suggestions for future guests or topics, we would love to hear from y'all. So please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, as well as follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Asian Voices Radio is produced by Asian Culture and Media Alliance, a nonprofit that empowers our API community with a voice through media arts. If you'd like to support our program and make a donation, please visit AsianVoicesRadio.com. Thanks so much for listening. I'm your host, Sasha Fu. Please join us next week for another exciting and thought-provoking Asian Voices Radio show. Until then, take care, everyone.